0: Good to see you all here today. How's everybody doing? Hanging in there. Um, I was looking at the passages that we have today, and um, we've been going through the lectionary, and each Sunday there's an offering of these different passages, a psalm, an Old Testament passage, a gospel account, something usually from the epistles, and it's like getting these groceries delivered to you, right? Where you go like, oh, what are we going to cook with this? Um, Which is kind of fun, but um, there was like such a a sweet connection to all of this and something to me that um, kind of gets right at the heart of what we're talking about here. When we talk about the gospel, when we talk about hope, when we talk about peace in this world, in some ways it's this just simple truth. But this thing that when when we're functioning in this flow, it, it changes the world. It's like the electricity goes on, right? It's where the power is. And in Psalm 1, I don't think I have these verses up for you, so you're just gonna have to listen carefully, but you know this one. It, it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree, planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And I love this vision. I mean, it's captured by this really beautiful symbol, right? That this tree, this flourishing tree, when we think about what, what God has come to do, it's, it's this I- idea of abundant life captured by this flourishing that's there. And that this is what God desires for each one of us, that this is the thing that's going to ultimately in the end change the world, is is human beings flourishing or meant living like they were meant to live. I love how the church father Irenaeus says, the glory of God is man fully alive. And Jesus would say that, that I came that you would have abundant life, life to the full we 've talked about how this gift of being a parent is how God gives us this little opportunity to see the world through the way that God sees the world and and I had one of those like joyful parent moments on Friday night watching my daughter in her first like high school play, and um, tiny little lila she 's a freshman, gets this really significant part in this play, and of course, as a parent i 'm like terrified, right like, oh my gosh, like there 's my daughter up there on stage and um, just the vulnerability of it. And also at the same time, such pleasure because for Lila, this has always been where she's like turned on, right? Even as a tiny little girl, she'd get up here on this stage and just be like, Oh, ah, like she's where she's supposed to be. And to watch her on Friday night and to see just her joy. And um, I think there's this power in this sort of beholding somebody seeing somebody and like really seeing them, right? And and thinking about that, what is it like to be seen? And the importance of this, that that joy is not something that we just hold on to in a sort of isolated way. Joy happens in this kind of beholding and being beheld. For my daughter to experience being seen, for me to look at her and see her with such love, to go, there's a power in this connection, but there was a, another component that I, that to me like kind of caught me off guard, not in a surprising way, but just in a sweetness that it added to this situation as I'm staring at her with such pride and afterwards, um, watching this teacher come up to her because she's got this music teacher that came up to Lila and was like, ah, that was awesome. Like Lila's name in this play is zero. And she was like zero, zero. Like just totally cheering my daughter on. And I thought, oh my gosh, like as a parent, the gift of seeing somebody else's affection and seeing your your child. And and I share all this with you because I think in some ways this is what the passage that we're going to be looking at in First Thessalonians is about. Is this idea of being seen and seeing others. That we cannot thrive unless we're receiving that sort of affection from God and then giving that affection to others. I loved Shirley's announcement this morning. Here's an opportunity to go out on a really cold, dark night, inconveniently in the middle of like the busiest month of the year, right? To, to be interrupted, taken out of your cozy little home where you can sit comfortably, right? Because that's what life is all about, right? Being in that place of comfort, And the truth is, it isn't. That's what we imagine happiness to be. What shocks us is that it's that showing up and serving others. It's that like giving of ourselves where we really come alive. And those kind of connections, it's not just connections with friends, although that's critical, but connections with the least of these where we're loving others with God's love. And we as human beings are so made for connection, right? I like how Brene Brown, she says, connection's why we're here. We're hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Without it, there's suffering. And I've just started reading a book by David Brooks that came out this week on this idea of connection, but in it is these statistics that to me are, are sort of staggering of the deep and growing isolation that's occurring in our world. And as a result of this, the very opposite of thriving, people spiraling inward. He says in there that 54% of Americans say that no one knows them well. That the number of people who say they have no close friends has quadrupled in recent years. This one, people who rate their happiness as the lowest level on the scale, right? Scale of 1 to 10, the number of people that would say 1, that that number has increased by 50% in the last decade. And the numbers with high school students and younger is is even more staggering. He said 45% of high schoolers say that they are persistently hopeless or depressed. And there's so many reasons for this, right? You point at social media, that's clearly something. But this way of like being so superficially connected and then so isolated on our own, it's causing us to wither. And this idea of this tree being planted is, is this picture of receiving this love, receiving this sense of belonging, this affection from God. But what's cool is that, you know, if you look at current studies on on forests, is they realize that these these trees aren't just this system of roots, but this whole net, interconnected network. Have you read anything about this? This um, the the hidden life of trees is this sense that they care for each other, that their roots are intermeshed, that they communicate with each other, that they warn each other when there's danger, that they indicate certain things that need to. Um, they need to be paying attention to that they'll, even some of these trees will, will keep other trees alive by feeding it from themselves. And so I'm not sure the psalmist in Psalm 1 understood that when he wrote it, but it's interesting. These, these ways of connection, receiving the nurturing water of God's love and grace, but then giving it to others. This is how trees thrive. And in our passage in 1st Thessalonians, we're, we're, reading about Paul's relationship with this little church. And as I mentioned last week, what's kind of fun is that Paul's surprised that it's still there. He had come into Thessalonica for three weeks and then got ran out by all this opposition. And for three weeks, he had nurtured this little group of believers, but then fled for his life only to find out that they were still there that the, the Spirit is sort of kindled in the midst of this small group and was spreading. In fact, Paul all of a sudden is being told from others, like, have you heard about that little church in Thessalonica? And what you see in Paul is this deep joy and love for this church growing. And as he writes, he writes with such affection. He talks about the honor of being able to give them the gospel seeing the power manifested by it continuing to grow there. And then in our passage today, kind of gushing on them a little bit, talking about what his love for them is like. And I'm reminded of this teacher cheering on my daughter. I think Paul's love for this church must give God so much joy. And Paul writes this, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts for we never used flattering speech as you know or had greedy motives. God is our witness and we didn't seek glory from people either from you or from others although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives because you had become dear to us the word of the Lord. And here you see Paul is this bearer of this gospel coming to them with this message of truth, this message of hope and God's love. But it comes out of him with such affection, this gentleness. It's got this parental sort of joy to it. And the gospel, as we've talked about plenty of times, is is not good advice. It's good news. It's this message of victory. That Jesus has come into this world and conquered death. That He suffered sacrificially so that He might triumph over judgment. And He comes to display this reality of God's love for all of us. And Paul in Romans 8 says, Knowing these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's this gospel message. Paul comes and bestows on them this message of God's love for them, that God knows you, that God sees you. And I love how Paul in this passage is saying, we didn't do that to please you. We did that because like, we want to please God. That that's the connection. That is where Paul sees his value and worth, not from other people being convinced of this, but this settledness that comes from knowing that God sees him and knows him, that God loves him. And this truth sets us free. Without this truth, we cannot thrive. With this truth, we are free. I love how in Galatians 5 he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think the disconnection that this like constant need for affirmation from others is is something that keeps us all sort of enslaved, living for the attention of others, for the for the praise of others. And we talked about last week, like performing for the applause of others, ends up being such a trap. And it's this insatiable need that's trying to feed this deep hole of insecurity within us. But Paul's saying, when you understand that God sees your heart and loves you just as you are before any performance, this is the thing that allows us to function in freedom. I love how Henry Nouwen says this. He says, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry And in the long run, destructive The world tells you many lies about who you are And you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected You have to dare to say to yourself These feelings, strong as they may be Are not telling me the truth about myself The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now Is that I am the chosen child of God Precious in God's eyes called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. But the hunger within us is for that. And that only can be given by God, that God is like our parent, looks at us with delight. And too often we live broken from that connection. We've turned away from that thing. We're trying to find that value in ways that Paul would call idolatry. The praise of others, the value of seeing our worth based on our performance, all of these things right they they never speak right to the heart, right to the need and Paul talks about in chapter one of First Thessalonians that these people have turned from that idolatry to the living God, and the thriving this tree that is drinking the water is this tree that is focused on the living God, and sometimes we come in to church and and our focus is somewhere else. And coming into church, we we celebrate this reminder of like putting our gaze back on the living eyes of Christ. It's why we sing worship as a part of entering into the message. These deep reminders, God is here, he's present, and he sees you. And turning towards God, this is the first step in all of this. And what we're going to see is that it's more than just that. It's not just a receiving, but it's a giving. That there's a, a circularity to this sort of joy. Paul is going to say it's making our joy complete. It's not enough to just receive God's love, but it has to be reciprocated in a similar way. That we love because He first loves us. That that is the thing that that puts us into motion. But that sacrificial love pointed towards us is then ours to give. And when we do this, it's not just joy that we receive, but it's an actual transformation that begins to happen. Because these tender words are coming from Paul, who's the last guy that you would expect to be comparing himself to like a nursing mother or speaking gently with affection. Paul was somebody that the people feared. He was a tormentor of the church, filled with this righteous zeal, and it was God that broke that pride in Paul and reshaped this heart, brought this heart back to life, created a softness to Paul's character. So as we talk about the hope for the world, this gets at the sort of dynamic that in the simple act of receiving God's love and giving God's love, so much more is happening. We're being changed and made new. And as we do this, we become the hope that the world is hungry for. That if we're not focusing on this, not connected in the right ways, it's like the hope goes out. And Jesus has said, you are my hands and feet. You are my body in this world. You are the hope. Or Christ in you, I should say. In Colossians 1, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, And I'm completing in my flesh what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may be present, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Christ in you is the hope of the world. This glory in us, this sense of being seen. As I see with such pride, my daughter's little heart there. I'm struck by the fact that that maybe God looks at me the same way. Looks at me and doesn't see all my performance or insecurities or my needs for attention. Or He just sees through all that and sees right into that little heart of Jeff and goes, oh, I love that guy. And then he does the very same for each one of you. And I wanted to ask you that this morning. Have you ever felt really seen by God? And sometimes I think we don't pay attention, and especially when life is going well, sometimes we're not even considering such a thing. Sometimes I think this is where God allows us to really suffer, that we might know this love. When we're comfortable, we feel so at ease in our self-sufficiency. We love to feel like we're the center of attention, but when that's removed... It's almost like then is the time we see it for the first time. When I was thinking about that question for myself, when have I felt most seen by God? It's a story I've told you before, but I remember like, going between my 6th and 7th grade year, I had this sort of jarring moment where I was like the most popular kid in my school in 6th grade. I know that because I was voted the king of fun day, which was like this big event. (laughs) It's like on my CV, like King of Fun Days, like right at the top. It's where I peaked when I was uh, 12 years old. (laughs) But I moved right after that and spent that year invisible. That I walked into this new school where everybody knew each other and like sat by myself at lunch. I, I experienced loneliness maybe for the first time of my life. And the contrast was so stark. And I remember like, going home and feeling like sort of the ache of that disconnection in reading this verse in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And I remember sitting there in my room reading this little verse and all of a sudden feeling like God is with me. Like tangibly, like I could feel the warmth of it. Sitting in that place and feeling this deep peace settle over me. Nothing changing circumstantially except for the realization that I'm not alone. God sees me. I ended up writing that verse in my notebook and I would read it every single day. And this is the reason I tell you this, is it didn't just give me comfort, but it reminded me that that comfort comes with a responsibility, right? That the God of all comfort comforts us so that we can comfort others. And the truth is, when I saw my own loneliness and understood it, all of a sudden it was like for the first time I could see all these lonely people around me people that were disconnected. Before that, when everything was comfortable, I just kind of breezed through life. But when I understood that suffering, I could recognize suffering. And rather than praying like, hey, God, comfort that person too, it was like God was saying, you go sit by that person. And this is how the hope works. When we receive that love of God, we realize, oh, that's mine to give. And it takes these simple little ways of doing it. Providing a gift card for somebody at the friendship shelter. I mean, it's the simplest little thing, but you should hear Rick talk about that, who is um, one of the key people there on staff. But he's like, these people come up and they're like, can I get one of those little church gift cards? This like little small thing. And yet it gives these people such a sense of worth. I love how Shirley was saying, remembering somebody's name at the cold weather shelter. Like, what a powerful reminder that is. And we've forgotten how to do that. I think is one of the reasons we've become so disconnected. I I always think it's funny when somebody knocks at our door, my kids like panic. Like, whoa, what do we do? Somebody's at the door. Like, who's going to answer the door? And you're like, you go answer it. Right? But we've like, we've sort of grown so familiar with that kind of disconnection. David Brooks writes this, he says, The real act of, say, building a friendship or creating a community involves performing a series of small, concrete social actions well, disagreeing without poisoning the relationship, revealing vulnerability at the appropriate pace, being a good listener, knowing how to end a conversation gracefully, knowing how to ask and offer forgiveness, knowing how to let someone down without breaking their heart, knowing how to sit with someone who is suffering, knowing how to host a gathering where everyone feels embraced, knowing how to see things from another's point of view. This is what the gospel does, right? Is It, it finds these ways to give that affection to others, to include and to weave our lives with people that are in need to love like Jesus that leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. The gospel passage from today is Matthew 22, and it's a very favorite, um, familiar passage. It's where Jesus is asking this lawyer while well, he's coming to him saying, what is the greatest command in the law? And Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see that there again, the loop. (laughs) Loving God, loving others. Receiving that love, giving that love. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And I think so often we kind of think, okay, I'll give you a little more of, I'll give you a little bit more of this, but, but the truth is God wants us in this posture of just surrendering. We think I'll give you a little of my time and, you know, instead of saying like, oh God, all of this is yours. And like Shirley was saying, what happens? You're interrupted on Christmas Eve and you have to go down and, Take care of some people that are cold. And it's the truth that you go, that's the Christmas you'll remember. That when we live our lives in this way, these acts of generosity become the things we remember and hold on to. There's a weight to them. There's glory in these moments. So as we come to a close, first thing I want to ask you is, have you ever felt truly seen I hate that statistic that so many people feel, over half feel like nobody knows them. I remember one time I had a teacher that really saw, I felt like really saw me as I was sitting with this question this week. Have I ever felt truly seen? And what popped immediately into mind was this teacher that I had in junior high. And uh, it was my quarter grade and she said, Jeff, um, I want you to know that you've earned an A, but I'm giving you a B+. And I was like, is that legal? Like, can you do that? (laughs) And she's like, I just know you're a better writer than that. And I remember thinking, thank you. Like, she knew I was underperforming, (laughs) knew I was just getting by, and saw more. And so what... (laughs) could look like a point of criticism as somebody that actually looked and saw potential in me. Like, Jeff, you could do better than that. It's an interesting thing about being seen because I think God does see and call us to more. But how powerful it is when we see others as I look at that teacher just rejoicing in Lila um, that night at the play. We need to be doing that for each other. Not just seeing each other, but spurring each other on. Have you ever felt truly seen by God or by another? But lastly, who is God calling you to see? Who does God want you to notice? Who is it that's sitting disconnected, overlooked, not paid attention to. And as we thrive, as we live in that freedom, we gain the eyes to see. We gain the opportunities to respond. And we get to be that hope. There's a quote by Thomas Merton that's a passage that he writes where this happens to him. And it really, to me, this example is like my prayer for us. And it it happens at this specific point in Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut. He says, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. The sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being human, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize that we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, But it cannot be explained. There's no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. My prayer for each one of you today is that you would know that part of you, that glory that God sees and delights in. That we would have the freedom to rest in that love but that it would open our eyes to the value and glory of all those around us, especially the least of these, that we would take that grace that we've been given and give it. Would you stand with me? If you'd like prayer this morning, come on down. I'd love to pray with you. We've got a delicious lunch. I think Charlie brought lunch today, which always means it's going to be good. Um, so stick around. Get to know somebody that uh, is unfamiliar. I want to close this today again with uh, the Thessalonians blessing that Paul gives at the end of this letter. He says this, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Amen.